0: Today on the Neil Wilkins podcast, I am joined by Stephen Frey, who is the brand scientist, or chief brand scientist, I should say, at Quantum Branding. Uh, he's also the founder of the organization, too, and knows a thing or two about branding. So welcome to the show, Stephen.
1: Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. And thanks, listeners, for joining us today. Excited to, to see where we go and what we talk about and how it can help you.
0: Yeah, and this is something that... um is really kind of pertinent I think right now as Um, and we were discussing this before we uh, hit the record button here, Um, is that it is is just so important a a conversation to be had right now, because I think a lot of people are tussling, particularly business owners, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and particularly marketers who are representing other brands, tussling with this whole idea of balancing the short-term pressures of getting sales with the long-term aspirations of building a brand. Do you see that too? Because I'm hearing this here in the UK from a lot of people in lots of different sectors.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar, but a few years ago, we had some cooties flying around uh, and it caused a pandemic And uh, here in the States. So it's interesting that now more than ever in the post-pandemic marketplace, ensuring your brand success is is everyone's priority you know for the owners the 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 business tier you know the c suite leadership you know they're looking at growth and sales and market rebounding or going in that new direction for marketers themselves that are over their team and their organization they're looking to create really compelling uh really compelling marketing that's going to drive that behavior and and you know and Customers are actually customers and clients, depending on what term you use, are more leery than ever um, of gimmick, of of uh puns, of kind of that like um inauthentic, that's the word I'm looking for, inauthentic marketing and inauthentic products that are here just to make a buck. So more than ever, uh ensuring your brand's success is is everyone priority from sales to marketing to the technicians in, in the organization and any brand that is using kind of the old theories or the old ideas of marketing, um, if you're trying to return to that, that's that's really a, a dead-end track. It's like being in a snowstorm and seeing tracks uh, when the snow clears and thinking, oh yes, finally, and then only to find out that it's just a set of tracks that go into the ditch. So when it comes down to it, you definitely need some ironclad tools to ensure your results. And so, so your assessment is completely spot on.
0: Mm, so we're, we're gonna get into, I know we're gonna get into these tools and you know approaches, and I think you know there's gonna be a lot of practicality to this conversation, but I wanna kind of scene set really here and kind of understand your take in this whole conversation around brand science, because, Over the years, I mean, I've been in marketing for, well, since ancient history, I mean, for a long, long time, and uh, pre-internet days, let's say, uh, to be kind to myself, Um, and since those days... Brand has been based around theory. So there have been quite a few people who are either commentators or authors or strategists who have built these amazing kind of theories that we've all used to, to shape what we might term a brand. And obviously, there are a lot of big consumer brands, a lot of kind of global multinationals who have shaped you know, brands that all of us would recognize on every continent. What is the difference, though, between brand theory, which most of us have grown up with, and the concept of brand science.
1: Uh, there's a really great example, and and I don't know how you learned about the birds and the bees, and that's that's about all how we'll broach the subject. It's just saying birds and bees. But some people learn about the birds and the bees on the back of the bus, and I don't know if if uh, you ever rode the bus as a child, but um, if you're not familiar with you know school lore, the cool kids sit on the back of the bus, and the kids on the back of the bus like to talk about. Things that you don't know about. And so you go home talking about them with your parents and end up using a cuss word or learning about things, whether it's gossip or rumors. You end up bringing that information into your life, into your psyche, into your home, and it actually causes disrepair. And at the end of the day, uh, things that you hear on the back of the bus, those cool kids aren't actually going to get you out of trouble when you say that dirty word. And similarly, that's kind of how marketing uh, leadership and brand leadership theories and information. There's a few people. They're cool. Like We enjoy them. Like I could spout them off and some of them are, are really great. Some of them are really intelligent. Sometimes there's a nerdy cool kid on the bus. And in fact, in marketing, there's a lot of us that are, but what's interesting is, is when that's not grounded in the actual, the actual, um, kind of, I don't want to say scientific, but it'd be the difference between learning on the back of the bus and learning in health class versus reading the Encyclopedia Britannica. Like, which is an appropriate way to learn that for you? To be honest, do I want my parents as an eight-year-old child using uh, age-appropriate language to share about the birds and the bees? I'm actually too young to decide that, so I actually probably wish they would have. But being the way I'm wired, I just sat down and I read books and I was like, that's weird. Move on. So, so that's, that's kind of how I found out as a kid about things. And I grew up on a farm and I had a lot of unique experiences teaching me. Uh, but none of them were coming from an authoritative world uh, that said, here's how they work. Here's what you need to watch out for. Here's what you need to be careful of. And here's how I'm committed to make sure that you don't get hurt. And instead of cool kids on the bus, what if you had a mentor or somebody that wasn't your parents because that would be weird? What if somebody came in and said, "Hey, I'd love to share with you, um, like, like how to how to navigate the world around you." And oh, you've got a you've got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend. That's cool. Like, where are you at with that? Like, what if somebody talked about where you were at in language that met you? That's that's really a really good example of brand science. So that was a long-winded example, but it gets us to the the point that we need to to understand because there is an authoritative way. And I could throw all the books on my shelf at you and tell you about the 13 sciences of, you know, the the, uh, sequence of cognition and semiotics. And I could talk to you about, you know, the trademark electronic search system and all the, but that wouldn't make sense to you. And that wouldn't help you. So what we need is we need someone that's going to help us understand what are the things that we need to know where we're at and is actually committed to helping us move forward with whatever we're going on. Because we're actually all in different places in the age and stage of our business with, um, you know, our sales cycles and with, you know, the traction that we're getting in our market. Are we, you know, low or high uh, in getting, you know. Uh, That product out to the world? Are we in the growth stage? Are we scaling? But then here's the interesting thing all the different components of their business, those metrics are based on the age and stage where we're at. And if we don't have a solid understanding of brand science or a brand platform, in that, it doesn't matter how good our growth is, our operations, or our customer experiences, we're still going to suffer because we don't have that foundational brand science at the beginning. So, it's a it's a really good understanding to see that brand science is an authoritative source and we want to find out uh, how to implement it in ways that make sense to our business, where our business is at for our team, because all businesses, just like people, uh, are in different stages.
0: So the way you've described that, which for me is really interesting because... I'm feeling and hearing from you that there's an opportunity here to be on the offensive rather than defensive. I think a lot of us, you know in business and a lot of uh, marketers, yeah, we appreciate there's opportunity, but we're often coming from a place of defensive. So we're being defensive against the competition or we're defensive against you know negative customer sentiment and social media. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why we've got to be on the defense. But, it feels like if you approach branding through a more science-based angle, there are a number of different pillars which allow you to kind of almost control things so you can be on the offensive in a positive way. It feels like you've got more control by doing it this way. Is, is that kind of what I'm picking up?
1: Think about it. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, one of the things I love doing is using examples that help um just kind of makes sense to draw really complicated concepts and I try to not use metaphors that are too complicated but ones ones we can all understand and it's it's really almost like uh I didn't know how to play football I no, they, the gym teacher just threw the PE teacher just threw the ball at his kids and he just said go and it wasn't until I saw like I was my roommate was playing a video game and I was like wait a second uh this little light's moving on the screen uh and it's changing from like green to yellow, you know, and, and then orange and the red. And it's like, wait, you get four chances to move it 10 yards and if not, you kick it? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, why didn't somebody explain this to me before? And that's the same way with, with marketing is if we, if we understand the rules of the game, we can decide what kind of plays we want to make. Um, And, and if I understand the rules of the game, I can play offensively. I can play defensively. Uh, what is what is the best call for you and your business? I personally don't think that being on a defensive strategy is the best is the best uh, uh, position. But what's interesting is I also don't believe that being on the offensive, which is to take down, typically in the sense of a sports team, is the best position either. So I'm not trying to protect what I have, but I'm also trying not trying to wipe out what others have. And so this is really best illustrated when you think of, you know, sports or competitions or working out uh, is probably the best metaphor here. When you're working out, what could you used to bench before and what do you want to bench now? Because at the end of the day, everybody at the gym is on their own thing, I don't need to compare externally. And so this is really where, where kind of the mindfulness aspect of brand science comes in and is, is really integrated. I mean, you know, working with clients like Mars Pet Care, Target, Walmart Michaels, and Cracker Barrel, and some of these brands, you know, I've helped them walk through and understand how to apply brand science to their organization. But none of those conversations have ever been to wipe out the competition or advance in the market um, they've been, how do we do what we do better? How do we do what we do best? You know, Harley-Davidson isn't out there trying to be the number one motorcycle company. Harley-Davidson is out there trying to be the number one American motor um, motorcycle company for men and women 35 to 55 who want a, uh, a sense of self-expression and freedom during a time when that's most valuable to them. That's a conceptual brand authority, and I think that's actually the first major shift that we need to take, um, that where brand science kind of roots us in, how do we approach this? This really has to do with mindset. Um, If you're familiar with, you know, the terms abundance versus scarcity mindset, those principles of, of, of health and wellness and mindset really also apply to our businesses. Now, I'm not advocating that businesses are people, but businesses are run by people. So they are expressed and they come across. So the actions that are expressed, you know, um, I'm sure you can think of an example of a business that made a decision that like was in the news and everyone disagreed with. You're like, oh, that's gross. We don't like what they did. And everyone gets on, you know, social media and types like this real high up in the air. Space bar, you know, I don't know. Uh, So they, they, they say what they don't like about it. And so we're familiar when businesses express themselves in ways that aren't aligned. And so the first kind of principle and it's not like I have a list of 3 or 10 or anything here, but I think that's a really big one is what is the big idea? Like Simon Sinek's golden circle why? What am I why am I here? You know, for Mars Pet Care, they created a portfolio of brands several years ago and they're like this is the the market that we really want to we really want to um, create and, and serve, and and we want to have the best products, and we want to have doctors from Cornell and come and 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 be in charge of these, and and we want to have science, and and so even in creating a brand, they said, what 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 is the world we want to create? Like, so even if that doesn't exist yet, you can still do that. If you have a brand that exists, you can still do that. Um, you can sit and say, what is the kind of world we want to create? But that first kind of big thing is that we are looking at ourselves in the mirror and using principles of brand science to help polish and to help advance and help build so people do business with us. Um, and that's really rooted in, in what is the world we want to create because the world doesn't need more pet care. The world doesn't need more you know, products. The world doesn't need what they need. Is people who are fully alive and expressing what they do in the world. And here's the interesting thing. Brand science is a way for us to be more effective with marketing people, marketing and sharing our products or services or what we do with people or why we matter. So if what you do really matters, wouldn't you want to do that in the best way possible so you're not wasting your time so you can get back to what you love doing? So that's really a long-winded way to come back around and be like, Wow, it really isn't about the competition. Now, I'm not disclaiming, you know, uh, that your product needs to be viable and you need to do your competitive research and these other things. So we're not we're not ignoring those, but it's more of a both and conversation with a mindset from the beginning that really shifts the conversation.
0: I love this. This, this to me is just. It's music to my ears because I get a lot of people saying, oh, yes, but Competitor X is doing this. Something else is going on over there. Thank you. Um, and thank you. It's, it's just one of those really interesting kind of moments because it just changes everything, doesn't it? Once you accept that you are different as an organization or as a brand, you open up the permissions to go to different places that would otherwise constrict you. Because if you're constantly, and I am a big believer in knowing what the competitors are doing, but if you then base your strategy around those competitors, they could be all getting it wrong. And so by creating, almost creating your own marketplace here, which I think, Stephen, is what you're saying, is that you're creating a, a new sector, a new market, a new style of doing business based around your your higher purpose, your higher reason for being in business. It feels so, um, I don't know, fueling. It just feels so engaging. It just feels so motivating. Rather than being a me too in a sector, you're creating something brand new with this this kind of approach, aren't you? And it is just mindset, isn't it? Because anybody could do this, couldn't they? Stephen, you're on mute, by the way.
1: So obviously, there's some tactical things that we need to shift um, to, you know, so obviously, it starts with our mindset, how we look at the world. So we've talked about shifting from the the unproven theories of the kids in the back of the bus. And now we're not looking at the other kids and saying who's cool and who's not. We're looking at ourselves and saying, how can I do best with the equipment that I have or the equipment that I want to create for my brand? Uh, but what's also different is how we approach uh, marketing in 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 of itself i define marketing in a very functional view marketing is any activity any activity that is meant to advance or maintain mental availability and advance trade so, the whole goal is any activity. So, whether it's PR, whether it's social media, any activity doesn't matter. Whether it's me handing you a business card at a meeting, me putting my handle, my social media handle at the bottom of the screen, which I did not do, you know, any of those things. Good job, Steven. Any of those things is meant to make people do or interact with you, is basically just a very baseline principle. And marketing itself is meant to advance your mental. Uh, availability of that person, thing, or object. And so the goal is to facilitate trade. And there's a magic thing within marketing, and that's actually branding. And branding are, or branding is, whichever you want to use, they, them today, uh, branding is uh, the collection of the mnemonic tools that we utilize. So your word, your shape, your color, your story, assets, music, sound, shape. So so like we're we're doing an episode on branding and brand sites, we got to talk about brand identity a little bit. How does it tie in? Those distinctive assets that are unique to you only, um specifically to you, the ones that are unique to you are what people remember. And why? Why do they why do they remember that? Because uh, if, if if people like reading, there's Daniel Kahneman's book Thinking, Slow and Fast, um, and he talks about System One and Two. Basically, ninety five percent of the time, our brain—it's not left brain, right brain—it's systems. It's like operating systems. Most of the time, we are on autopilot. Our brain is collecting information. It's like, hold on, Neil. Um, I'll, I'll I'll call you back. I'm I'm driving on my way to work, or or I'll hold on. Let me turn on the radio. You can drive, talk on the phone, and listen to the radio, and have passengers in the car, and still function as as a human. That's incredible. Your brain is is taking record of everything that's happening, including the billboards and the things that you pass. So at the end of the day, we're operating with an understanding that people are on autopilot. And if they're on autopilot, how does that affect our marketing? And at the end of the day, people only remember highly distinctive things in their respective categories. Uh, so this is why uh, color theory is actually complete bunk. Uh, yellow does not mean happy. Yellow means stained teeth. So if you go to the toothpaste aisle, you're going to see colors and norms and things and and brands that are near knockoffs in the toothpaste aisle. Same thing with Oreos versus Hydrox versus your local economy, grocery store brand. So they're going to use some similar traits and it's going to be a blue box, a blue tray, maybe the sticky thing on the top, it's going to be a sandwich cookie, but only the one that is Oreo is going to say Oreo and then Nabisco and have the shape. So that's how you know that that's the brand that you want. So in every category brands are near knockoffs of each other, toilet paper, you know, it's either this big or this big. It's uh, It's got bad math in the corner, soft, fuzzy baby, yellow, red, or blue, you know, and then here's the thing in the States versus the UK versus Europe, there's different trends. If you go to Europe, there's scented toilet paper, you know, like there's different things that people are like, wow, this is amazing. Why don't we have that? So what's interesting is if everyone's on autopilot, it changes our messaging and no longer are we trying to to teach them? Are we no longer trying to position ourselves? Are we worried about message comprehension? Are we focused on our USP or our, our unique selling proposition? We're not trying to persuade or teach them. And we're stopping with the idea that we think that they're rational. Like I know they may be rational, but in this sense of how they're working in the world or interacting in the world, they're not interacting in a rational involved way. They're actually in an emotional distracted way. And we wanna work on salience and distinctiveness, getting noticed, eliciting emotional responses, creating associations, refreshing and building our memory structures. And that's actually the core of brand science is is shifting how we view branding from this past view to this evidence-based view. And by doing so, we're gonna make it so much easier for people to understand who we are, what we do, why it matters to us, and oh, I want to do business with them. And then we may have to get impressions and some of these metrics that marketing leaders are worried about. But if we think about this stuff before, when it gets to the the, I was teasing with you about this before. I always forget. I was like leading versus lagging into indica- get you know leading indicators or you know we get to the social media metrics and the campaign, you know, and the clicks. When we get there, like we need to have done this homework before. Because if we're trying to just, you know, uh, adjust A-B testing and do all this other stuff, and we haven't, and our message is complicated, if we're focused on making us so different, we alienate our customers. No, like, they just need a near knockoff that's blue. Or they need a near knockoff that uh, is for moms. They need a near knockoff that uh, is fun. Like, sometimes we try to make stuff so meaningful, like, we're, we, we disenfranchise the potential customers or our industry, and people don't get what it is. Sometimes it's just as simple as people don't even notice us. Like, people don't even notice who you are. So the acronym I love to say is NAG, notice, attract, get. If they don't notice you, they're not going to be attracted to it. They're not going to get it. So really, unseen is unsold here. So there's a lot of these things that really start with, if we shift our view if we shift our view, uh, it changes how we do our marketing. Uh, and this is the biggest shift, is shifting it to this evidence-based view and says, well, first, how do we operate and engage the world? And if we understand system one and system two thinking, it revolutionizes everything that we do.
0: So, so that end then in the nag, I, I'm interested in this one to start then, Is there, according to to brand science then, is there a natural starting point that for all brands, irrespective of sector and industry and country, there's a starting point? Do do you begin the brand evolution or brand development somewhere? Is there a natural starting point? I, I want to be really, really practical here to get noticed, to cut through all of the noise. And let's face it, we've all got noise. Where does a brand owner or brand custodian begin? Because it feels complicated, doesn't it?
1: Sure, sure. So there's kind of two answers to this. This is not. Uh, oh yeah, let me. Uh, you just have to wear uh, a yellow penny and put cones out. Like there's 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 an you know uh, uh, the big thing was spinning spinning f- uh, signs in the states here for a while, like for like just to distract people and get their attention for like uh check cashing services or cell phone places um there's really where the science of this starts is it first starts with your approach like uh I'd love to say like yes uh you just need to put on a gorilla suit and people will notice you because there's scientific studies that uh people have put on gorilla suits uh and walked through the middle of of people playing basketball the the viewers were asked Uh, To count how many times people in white t-shirts were bouncing the ball, a gorilla person in a gorilla suit walked by and they did not even notice it. The same study was like, okay, they're like, no, maybe that's just a coincidence. They did it in a supermarket. Nobody noticed it. So there is a disruption element. Like, uh, but sometimes uh, distracted people are distracted and maybe they're so in what they're doing, they're in a rut because they're an autopilot. I know that when I go to the store, I'm going to buy the same five things. When I know I need a new service provider, I'm going to go to the, the one that I've always trusted. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to dislodge people's memories and get them off of autopilot, and it doesn't help that the supermarkets are sending me coupons tailored to my purchase history. So, of course, they're going to reinforce that behavior. You know, so at the end of the day, the distracting people means that we need to address, we need to address the environment that they're in, and make a consideration for their experience we want to create, and we also have to make sure that we've, also have to make sure we've done our homework. So some of the strategy and brand foundation, and talking about you know what archetype um, or kind of voice or motivation—that's really where psychology comes into this. Um, I'm going to buy a fine luxury vehicle. That archetype better be about craftsmanship and detail. If I'm going to buy you know an outdoors vehicle that needs to off-road, that archetype and all their content should probably be rooted in adventure and exploration. So all of a sudden, those archetypes are different. If, if it's about family, then maybe it's a family-owned company. And maybe I'm buying a Subaru and it's about love and, and utopia. Like whatever the, the, the internal motivation of the customer is that you're trying to attract, you need to be rooted in that. And sometimes, yes, gimmick can sell. I'm not discounting that gimmick can sell. But gimmick does not dislodge customers long enough so, so, at the end of the day, we need to have done our work. You know, we need to have done our work with brand strategy and build our brand platform so that when we go out into the world, we're doing things very simply. like, do you know there's only four types of communication for a brand? Introduce the brand, features and benefits, experience, um, experience, and then um, call to action. I was like, where's the fourth one? Call to action. So I can't do all those at once. I can only say, hey, I'm Steven. I'm the adorkable brand scientist next door. Done. Stop. Stop. You're done. And then it's like, hey, check out our cool brand science stuff and cats. I'm making this up. But uh, yeah. And then it's like, hey, check out what other brands that I've worked with have accomplished 5 out of 5 stars blah 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 and then it's like hey check out you know our new our our new flagship program brandpreneur it's launching this this quarter i can only do one of those at a time so if my campaign <clears throat> is rooted in just what are we doing we're trying to get in front of people create those associations oh steven orange cats quantum oh science branding we're basically creating this web of color assets, word assets, taglines, fonts, graphic style, components, photography, like brand identity, but then, oh, whoa, there's Steven, Steven as well. So he's a human asset, whether that's a spokesperson or celebrity or uh, character. So we're building those associations. So the more they're exposed to it, we're actually building what we call nodes, little clusters, little clusters of memories, the more memories we have, the easier it is for our brain to access. I mean, here's a question. If you want to get to work fast or the place you want to go fast, would you rather drive on a slow, bumpy road? Would you rather drive on an open four-lane highway and it's just you?
0: Clearly the latter.
1: Clear, Clear, right? Same thing with your brain. Your brain isn't dumb. It wants to conserve energy and get there fast. So any of the existing pathways that it's created, it's going to use. And so this has applications into internal health, mental, you know, mental health. This happens to to be with, if I'm, if I'm going through a hard time and I've been in that hard time long enough, my brain is going to be like, yeah, I'm, I've been using this highway a lot. Like, so it's going to be really hard. And, And so we have lots of practices, uh, whether that's somatic or that's plant medicine or you know pharmaceutical or therapy would help people. Like, yeah, we need to rewire our brain and 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 get it restore it to a better place. So neural plasticity has so much application in all these other things and marketing. So if you're thinking that you know, oh, the competition is out to get me, and you're thinking negative thinking, all of a sudden you're rooting that negative thinking or that competitive worldview into your marketing without even knowing it. And I would even advocate that um, when someone's mom makes dinner and she puts love in it, tastes so much better. Don't know why I can't explain this. Uh, someone throws a pizza at you and like, here's your food, go to your room. There's not love in that. Like maybe the people that, but that, that energy, that's actually the same thing. I believe wholeheartedly that the science that, that that's the same thing when we create marketing that is not rooted in in good intention and motivation to share what we do. It's not, it's it can be we can have gimmicky marketing and it'll sell. But where are those brands today? There has to be something that resonates, and that resonation and that resonate has to come through those internal motivations and those archetypes and those assets. Why? So people, when it comes to mind, there is a compelling case for your brain to remember it. Um, Coca-Cola does this every day. Uh, Do I actually believe they're the best product on the planet? That's irrelevant because they have the most memories and they've spent the most time investing in the over 150 plus assets of polar bears and Santa Claus and the shape of the bottle and taglines. So they're investing and refreshing their brand assets all the time. So mm-hmm. back to your question, you're like, is there a way to like cut through the, the noise and the like, yes, you have to really know, like, who are the people you want to serve? Where do they hang out? And you have to know the, the kind of the ball diamond. It's like, are we playing in like, you know, Um, I know that like soccer is really big, you know, and there's like Manchester and like, what field are we playing on? Do they have lights? Do they not have lights? Like sometimes it's like, where are we playing? Not just who are we playing? So mm-hmm. it's knowing, oh, knowing, knowing those those things. So um, we can start with yes. There are some tactics that can distract people, but it doesn't matter if we don't have our distinctive brand assets. The average brand has typically three to five: a brand mark, a color, and a tagline. Maybe a few distinctive fonts. Um, you know, we'll we'll give them five. A successful brand that is a growth brand, you know, brands that are typically doing two to 10 million in that kind of that first level market, um, uh, research shows that the best ones that are growing the fastest typically have 15 to 25. So I say, if if, if you're looking at a number when we count these all up, and that's actually something that, that listeners can do, and we can talk more about how to get that with the brand science checklist, but you can download the brand science checklist and go through and count and say, how many do I have? Because that's the starting point. How do I cut through the noise? It's the distinctive brand assets. And those are the things that you utilize talking with people. And in, in, in every time you have a campaign, whether it's introducing the brand, whether it's um, whether it's a call to action, whether it's feature and benefits, whether it's sharing experiences, and cycling through those, it's like a Super Bowl ad. Here in the States, we have the Super Bowl, and everyone loves the commercials. It's great. Ever, there's the the owner of Oatly Milk got on there and played the synthesizer and was silly for a minute. And they spent I don't know how many millions. But then what was the follow up? Were those people ever tagged in, you know, were they did they track the website? I don't know. Like, I don't have enough information. I'm asking if someone of the listeners knows this, please tell me. Uh, because they they have to capture those people's information <clears throat> and then attract them. So they noticed it. I saw them. But now I have to attract them. Oh, go to the website. There's a call to action. Oh, here's features. About, and I have to somehow give them a call to action. If there's not a follow up, why do you think there's like the sign and drive event or Toyota a thon or happy Honda days? People don't need happy Honda day. Well, we all need happy Honda days. all the time. But <clears throat> but if there's not an event, people aren't going to buy. So this prompts us. What are they doing that we don't know? They're actually creating just a reason ancillary no reason whatsoever. So all the big brands they're using this same science every day and we think, "Oh, I'm too small to use it." And that's not true. It first mm-hmm. starts with it first starts with counting your distinctive brand assets so that people can notice you because the more memories you have, the more top of mindness you have, the more top of mindness you have with people, people are going to think of you first and that's really the root of everything that I talk about. It really doesn't matter how much money you make, how many products you make, how complicated um, you think your customer is, how complicated your portfolio of products are, it all boils down to this one thing. Human people have human brains and even if they had computer ones, they would still probably operate on the the one with the most memories um, stored in there as the one that they're going to think of first and the science of how we build our brands with brand assets is, is how, we, how we do that.
0: That's so powerful stuff. And, and for me, it just introduces the one thing which I guess I'd kind of put aside or forgotten, depending on how you want to view it positively, or maybe you should have been paying more attention, but is this kind of human element, because how much is a, is a human, um, let's call them the face of the business, for want of a better description. But how how important is that in your um, brand science checklist? Have it, having somebody there who's an identifiable human as part of the brand kind of presence to get that hook in.
1: That's a really interesting question. You know, I would like to think, and I would like to say that it's really important. Um, at the end of the initially, you know, uh, there was a, a, a uh, a hotel change, it was um, Motel 6, and it's, I'm Tom Beaudet, and I'll leave the light on for you. And there would be a little song, it would be on the radio. Dun, 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 dun. You know, We could all hear it if you're familiar with it. And I've never seen Tom Beaudet, but I know his vocal style. I know his name, that's a word. I know that music that they would play, and I know the term Motel 6. And in less than 15 to 30 seconds, When those commercials were on the air back in the day, that was just for, for, for the Michelin Man. He's a made-up man. Um, He's a made-up little kind of looks like Pillsbury Doughboy uh, who let himself go and he's healthy and happy and we love him. Uh, Michelin Man, that's another spokesperson. So uh, being a person, yes, that's one element in the distinctive brand asset palette. Now here's what's interesting how active is that person so it's not who you know it's who knows you so when folks like very no um notable or folks notoriety notoriety is a bad word folks go google it um, I love when people say it they're like oh, i'm getting so much notoriety i'm like no google that word that's not what it means uh but when people do stuff and they're in you know social media that's creating awareness oh did you see what you know Elon Musk was doing do you see what ex politician was doing So we do live in a world where bad news is news and sometimes it's just about like just exposure and so it reinforces that that person is not popular but top of mind. Like that's really like we need to look at things very just objectively like where am I now? Where do I want to go? What are my goals? What things are going to help me? Most people don't do things to be evil. Like let's like there's a few small things. There's Yes, there's very horrible evil people do but um, the majority of people only do things that help advance their own goals. And so when we see that, it kind of like changes our perspective and, and helps us look at the human element as it's involved with a brand. Um, and so sometimes those values are aligned with the brand that they are creating and sharing and they want you to become part of that. That's sometimes why they get spokespeople who um, have used the products. I'm not only a client, I'm the president, you know, hair club for men. Uh, there's, there's all these different examples, you know, um, I'm gonna say like Eva Longoria, um, you know, JLo, there's all these celebrities, and sometimes they've used the products. And so they're like, Oh, my gosh, this has changed my life. So sometimes those human connections are great. But then how are we utilizing that person long term? So if you know, when we look at Quaker Oats, was that a real Quaker guy? Maybe, you know, um, when we look at KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, Colonel Sanders, you know, he was a guy, he was real, and he was in commercials, you know, Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. And so, but Dave Thomas is unfortunately passed, but how do we incorporate him as an element? You know, now we have Dave's Foundation for Adopted Children and a few things. We have to dig a little bit to find Dave still, but he's still part of it. And so at the end of the day, it's what is our level of commitment to utilizing that asset and keeping that asset sprinkled throughout. If you run a um, four impact organization, which is what I say instead of nonprofit, defining you by your impact. If you work for a four impact organization, obviously you're going to want to leverage those spokespeople, but you're also going to really want to make sure that you use all those other distinctive brand assets because not one asset is more important than any of the other ones. However, they may be the first entry point for someone that they remember. You know, so people obviously are going to remember me if they've met me or, you know, they go on Instagram and they're like, oh, the guy with the cats and the pottery. Like, so that may be their entry point. Everyone has a different memory or an opportunity to create a memory. And the distinctive brand asset palette, it's like a gem. It's like a gem thinking of like, you know, or, or a painter's palette like Bob Ross would have. And the more paint you have, the more opportunity there is to have, um, you know, assets that you're going to use all of like a menu, the more things on the menu, the more things you're going to be like, oh yeah, I'd like this or this. You're going to be able to use, you're going to be able to paint more with more paint. You're going to be able to find something you like on the menu. If there's only one thing on the menu, it's going to get old real fast. Same thing with your customers by having these assets that are alive and then refreshing them quarterly. Um, and it's not just about that human asset. They're going to be able to find ways to connect or remember, and that's going to be their entry point. And then you're going to be able to nurture that entry point. So great question. You know, how important is the spokesperson? Important, but no more important, like than one tire is on with the other four tires on a car or one spark plug is from, you know, five other spark plugs in a, in a V6 engine, you know? So it really has to do with what is the whole, what is the whole system, the whole ecosystem, and how does it play a part?
0: For me, that is is—it's such a profound difference to the way I've been viewing kind of the use of humans actually within marketing and branding. I think, Stephen, the, the way that you've just described that is, it has changed everything. For me, I think it just in terms of the way that I'm going to now view humans as a collection of assets that can then blend with other assets within the brand. I absolutely love that. Seriously, I think that is that is so different to the way I viewed them. I, I kind of viewed having a spokesperson or a face of the organization as being this almost this thing to put on a pedestal. But the way you've kind of brought that down to earth and said, yeah, it's fine, it's good, but it is just another asset that you have to then blend in with the mix, right. I think is is so, so, so practical and so useful.
1: Here's a really interesting, um, if people are familiar with psychology, most people are familiar with Freud and Freud would say, ah, this horrible thing happened to you. And it has a sexual connotation. I'm sorry. Well, one of his contemporaries was Alfred Adler and Adler said that we are all comrades moving forward and nobody is superior or inferior. And he said, sometimes there's, um, uh mental instance instances mentally health-wise, where they may make a superiority or an inferiority complex because they want to feel camaraderie with other humans. And so by doing that, they say, Well, I'm different. I had this horrible thing, or I'm amazing. I have this amazing thing. And what happens is we distance ourselves. We distance ourselves from people that are like that. Be like, ah, I can't relate to that. Uh. So this idea that we are all the same in moving forward this is really interesting. So when we elevate an asset and say it's more important it's almost that same principle it alienates all the other assets. And it doesn't give us very much room to grow because that asset has to perform. That asset has to be the best. But what if we just said like hey I'm it's like cross country cross country if anyone's familiar with cross country like yeah there is like a finish line uh, but there's like all these trails and you're running through the country across the country i think that's why they named it that I'm not sure and and i may like run next to like this person and then they may like take off for a little bit i may run the whole way next to a group of people i may run by myself and that is a really great metaphor for us in our businesses we may be do we may do competition with a few set of people and then we may move to a different phase of our course in the life of our lives and our business. And so no one is inferior or superior and neither is the pennies or the shoes that I wear more important than any other element. I may use those to move myself forward. And then after a time, I may retire these sneakers because these sneakers are worn out. Um, I may get a similar pair. They may come out with a better pair of sneakers that still have the same qualities of the ones I love. And they may just be better. And so we see that same thing with, with brands. They may refresh their packaging and they evolve the brand enough to use those distinctive brand assets. We may now not use the Michelin man as much, but we know who he is. You know, Before he may have been the main focus. Back when technology was print and long form editorial, <clears throat> stories of husbands and wives and cooking and kind of some of these older narratives those don't work anymore. Now we have independent, financially capable, single moms and dads and humans, you know, some with just fur babies, some with real babies, some with no babies. Like the the narrative is so different as it should be because it evolved to accurately represent the people that it's working with. So no longer are the narratives about the corporations telling people what to believe, they're more a more human element. So this human element exists because we exist and we do business with people. And and I'll land the plane on this sentence with this one. Uh, I believe that people are the most important, ideas are the most powerful, and brands connect the two. And if you can root your brand in an idea, if you can root your brand in a goal, even if it's a very simple goal, doesn't have to be the world's biggest revolutionary idea. But if you can root it in an idea that everything can be sewn through with a golden thread, or mine would be an orange thread because I love orange and it's the brand color um, because it's distinctive in my space. Uh, But whatever your color thread is or whatever your Kool-Aid is or whatever your snacks are, like whatever, it's, it's all throughout your brand. The goal is to connect all those elements together um, and not one of, one of them is any more important than the other. And I think, so I bring in that Adlerian point to say, your assets, not one is more important than the other. Because why? These principles of psychology and self and human are also really great principles for business and how we approach marketing. And they will give us the most beneficial, healthful and successful longevity-wise you know, longevity-wise, business? Do you want sound business practices? Uh, You wouldn't, like, let someone who is not qualified manage your money. Why would you let someone who doesn't understand and is not qualified manage your team? Why would you ever let someone who's not qualified or loves your children watch your children for the evening or pets for the evening or your family? Like, so, so why would we do marketing that is is not rooted in in the right intention and it's because this idea of marketing i i actually think everyone's walking around talking about what they learned on the back of the bus thinking like that's it that's like oh did you hear what you know so and so said on the back of the bus oh yeah i'm implementing the new cool kids branding you know match what no, that's not. So we're all doing our best. There's no, like everyone's doing their best and we are looking for this next revolutionary thing. But at the end of the day, the cool kids aren't there. So what brand science does is it gives us a very evidence-based view grounded in a very human experience. This is all senses. This is, do you know, that like you can taste apples and it may taste like oranges to me or cilantro tastes like soap to you, like. They're called senses because we don't know what it is. <laughs> I love this point. We're trying to sense make in the world. And so we're making memories out of colors and words and stories and music and sounds and saying, what does this mean to me? And that's the whole journey of branding is trying to capture the human spirit experience and create the same human experience for everyone to help share what you do with other humans. and. And invite them to do business with you.
0: And it is as simple. And
1: it as sounds it. totally not like science. Like,
0: <laughs> but it does. And this it's is the most the woo-woo
1: approach I've ever heard. And it's like, wait, but it's there's thirteen forms of science. Yes, there's thir- there. N counting. Yes. Okay.
0: Step by step. Step by step. Stephen, I want to put people in your direction so that you've been mentioning the checklist, the brand science checklist. I know you have various ways and places that people can connect with you. We will put all those uh, links into the description, but is there a a starting place? Is there a a place you'd like as your call to action?
1: Absolutely. So the, the easiest one is click the link tree below. I don't know what path you're on. You may want to be like, oh my gosh, Steven, you're the coolest guy. Let's talk and hang out. I have so many questions. Awesome. Shoot me an email. You may be interested. What is brand science? I don't know enough yet. I need to do a little bit. Cool. Click on the link tree. You can watch my award-winning 10-minute-ish talk. Um, You want to learn more and possibly learn how to integrate this into your organization? Cool. Click on the link tree. and I've got a program called um, Brandpreneur. Um, it's a 10-week program where I help purpose-driven brand leaders create actionable plans that propel you towards industry authority using brand science. And here's the cool thing. We're not overhauling what you are doing. We're not saying, here's a new way that you need to just know what we're doing is saying, like, hey, that's great. Like you're, you're, you're working out. You're like, what if we just tilted our, oh, what if we tilted our hands like, oh, oh what no, what if we held it like. So you're getting you're getting actionable advice. You're learning what are the metrics to look at and have that mindset and that approach. And it's easily integrated into all the actions and things that you're doing right now. So click on the link tree. Um, you can read more. You can watch the video um, or you can join us in the Brandpreneur cohort and, and learn um, how, to, how to propel your organization into growth and success faster. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. I only have, what is it? There's there's a book out there. It's like 4,000 weeks or, you know, like we only have a limited amount of time here. How do we make the work we do count? How do we make the actions with other people count? And how do we make our marketing most effective? Well, it's not just about being effective, it's about effectively communicating the right thing to the right people and why. So if you're interested in that, click on the link, I'd love to hear from you. Um, and and as always, I'm an open book. You know, there's no, uh, if, if it's not a good fit for you, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna tell you. So, so there's no pressure, there's never any pressure. Um, my goal is to uh, educate and equip people with stuff that uh, will help them live more em- empowered lives in the organization that they're advancing uh, in the work they do with marketing.
0: Stephen Frey, thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you, Neil. And thank you uh, listeners for joining us today. It's been a pleasure uh, being here with you as well.